This is Choni's Circle. I'm Tamara Lubicki. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose. And on Choni's Circle, we are going to explore Jewish texts from the Torah through the Talmud and lots of traditional commentaries to grapple with climate change to help us process our emotions about climate change and about this particular moment um, and to help us try to make sense of the world that we find ourselves in. Today we're going to be looking at Tfilat Geshem, the prayer for rain that is traditionally added to the repetition of the Amidah at Musaf on Shmini Atzeret, which is the day that we begin adding Mashiv Haruach Umorid Hagashem, a line praising God for causing the wind to blow and the rain to fall. So we recite that during the winter months in the Amidah, and so Tfilat Geshem is the way of inaugurating that season and reintroducing those words into our prayer. And it's a long piyut, it's a long liturgical poem. We won't read the whole thing, and there are a few different versions of it. I'm working out of the version in the translation that is in Sidur Sim Shalom, which is the Sidur that we use at Beth Shalom. But I'm also actually going to read a verse as well that was written by Ruth Gan Kagan, which the version that I'll read out of the Sim Shalom mentions different patriarchs of the Jewish people, and her version follows a similar structure, but mentioning the matriarchs. So we don't use that liturgically at Beth Shalom, at least not yet, but I'll share one verse from that also, just to balance things out, and because I think it's a particularly beautiful one. So the Tefillah begins, Eloheinu v'elohei avoteinu, our God and God of our ancestors. Oh, and I should say also one more note <laughs> that the English actually has the names of the patriarchs of the people in whose merit we are asking for rain. The Hebrew actually doesn't mention them by name and has it's a little bit more of a riddle to figure out who is it alluding to. But the English makes it really explicit and I will read the English. Remember Abraham, his heart poured out to you like water. You blessed him as a tree planted near water. You saved him when he went through fire and water. For Abraham's sake, do not withhold water. Remember Isaac, his birth foretold while angels drank cool water. At Moriah, his blood was almost spilled like water. In the desert, he dug deep to find springs of water. For Isaac's sake, grant the gift of water. Remember Jacob, who with his staff forded Jordan's water. Gallantly, he showed his love beside a well of water. He struggled victoriously with a creature of fire and water. For Jacob's sake, do not withhold water. Remember Moses, whose basket rocked in reeds and water. In Midian, he gave his sheep ample grass and water. He struck the rock, and then the tribes drank sweet water. For Moses' sake, grant the gift of water. Then there's a verse also for Aaron the priest, and a verse also about all of the tribes of Israel. And I'll read also the verse from Ruth Gan Kagan's version about Miriam. Remember the one who stood by the reeds watching the Nile's water. She breathed life into newborns, saving them from death-dark water, who with her drum and circle dance sang at the sea of water, 
By her merit, you bore them a gift, a rolling well of water. For her righteousness, grant abundant water. And when the poem is completed, we then say, You are the Lord our God, who causes the wind to blow and the rain to fall. And then we ask, Livracha veloliklala, it should be for a blessing and not for a curse, Lechaim velolamavet, for life and not for death, Lesova velolarazon, for abundance and not for famine. And then the ark is closed and we continue with the Amidah as usual. That is the end of Geshem. Yeah. What's the ritual around this prayer in the service at the synagogue? Because I get the impression it's special. It's like designated as a special time. Yeah, so there's there's a little bit of pomp and circumstance around it. So we open the ark, which most of the time we don't do during the Amidah. We open it really just for this part, not for the whole Amidah. In our community, in many communities, there's a custom of the person who's leading wears a kittel, a white robe, like like it's the high holidays. Even though we're kind of at the tail end of the high holiday season, we don't usually wear a kittel for the other pieces of the liturgy on Shemini Aseret, but this gets a little bit of a special one. It's often also done in like a particularly musical way. There are special melodies and nusachs for it. So... It's certainly, in 2023, I think it's sometimes like a little bit underappreciated, but it's certainly intended to be a moment of great drama Mm. in the service. And that seems very particular. The kittel opening the ark, this elevated music. What do you think is the reason for all these elements? I think it's really about how important this is in multiple ways. We are so dependent on rain, and we sometimes lose sight of that in the modern world, at least those of us who are not actively involved in agriculture, but we're so dependent on it. It's so, it's so important for our well-being and for our lives, and that makes this really important. It almost has a similarity to Yom Kippur of standing before God and begging for our lives. That's really what we're doing here when we ask for rain. I think that that's really what the great fanfare is about here. I think the other piece on a much more mundane level is that this is actually a moment where our liturgy changes. For half of the year, we don't include these words about God causing the wind to blow and the rain to fall. Some communities just don't have anything in that spot, and some have liturgy asking God to cause the dew to fall. We actually use both at Beth Shalom, depending on who's leading. But that is significant, and especially in a world, right, like now we each have our own door that has the instructions and tells us during this time of the year say this and during that time of the year say that. But if you imagine in particular in communities where not everybody necessarily had their own door, not necessarily everyone was literate, having this moment that clearly signals to the community we are now in the rainy season, we're now in the time of year where we praise God for bringing wind and rain is also an important announcement, effectively, to the community about changing the words of their prayers. Yeah, and it's about the seasonality of when rain is good agriculturally and when rain is not good agriculturally, which brings me to, like, one of the most striking parts for me in the context of climate change is the last three words, for blessing and not for a curse, for life and not for death, Mm -hmm. and for abundance and not for famine. And yeah, I think as we've talked on this podcast before, probably most of the ways that climate change is 
seen by humans, experienced by humans, is through water in mm -hmm. different ways. Rising sea levels, droughts, floods, hurricanes, even forest fires are because of a different rain cycle. And so, to me, like, this is the prayer that might most directly relate to climate change. Yeah. It's like, we are acknowledging the vast power of water. Asking for it to help us instead of harm us, to give us life instead of kill us, because so many people now are dying because of the imbalance of the water cycle. And then the famine piece to me is huge. A lot of countries that have sustained their population on farming are no longer able to do that because the water isn't there and the earth can't produce the food. So kind of sums it up at the end. Yeah. I'm going to choose to see this as comforting. I could see how somebody would also see it as depressing. But I think there's something powerful about the fact that, like, our ancestors knew that. Right? Like, this is not a prayer that was written in the 21st century with an awareness of climate change. And I don't mean this to, like, downplay the changes that we're seeing now. But, like, humans have always understood that water is a really powerful force that we both desperately need and also that can be destructive. So I find it comforting that we have a tefillah that acknowledges that, that our ancestors knew that too, that we have always desperately wanted and hoped for and prayed for rain and water that brings blessing and abundance and life, and that that's never been something to take for granted, although more so not now, but at least we're not alone in that. And the preceding prayer is speaking directly to our ancestors' experience with water. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. How do you read most of the poem of the prayer, like calling back to various stories, or as you pointed out in the car earlier, Midrashim. A Midrash is like a supplemental story that someone else wrote after the Torah. How do you think about that? that water is being placed in all these different stories, but centered around the characters, the ancestors. Yeah, well, I think there are two different things that are going on there. One is that I think in a lot of ways, the essence of this tefillah, like the essence of many of our tefillah, is an appeal to God to treat us with love and compassion and care because of the devotion of our ancestors. Mm. So calling upon the merit of our ancestors as a way of evoking God's compassion. So I think that in a lot of ways, that's the structure. Each of the verses begins with Zahor, remember the one who blah, 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 water, is kind of the structure. But I think it's also a reminder to us of the ways that our lives have always been intertwined with water. You might think that it would be hard to come up with all of these examples about how water interplayed with the stories of our patriarchs and matriarchs, but it turns out that there's ample material to come up with a few different examples for each one, even with the scant texts that we have about them, about how their lives are connected to water. And I think that that's like a reminder for us too. And to me, the fact that we have our central texts are just these stories of these people. Part of that is that by reading stories of people, we can put ourselves in their shoes, like imagine ourselves as Abraham or as Miriam. And so, again, this fosters that 
appreciation with our own lives. Jacob fought an angel. In this case, it says comprised of fire and water, which maybe you can tell me what that's a reference to, because I, I can't remember the angel being fire and water, but I do remember he was right by the bank of a river. Yeah. Or Miriam's well. Can we bring that special feeling into our own daily interactions with water? Mm-hmm. that sense of appreciation. So what's this fire and water angel? Do you know that one? Uh, look, I don't offhand. It's clearly a reference to a midrash that imagines that the being that Jacob wrestles with uh, is made of fire and water, right. which is a good stand-in for it being not a literal human and somehow magical fire and water under normal conditions can't coexist together. So that's presumably what it's about, but I'm not familiar with the Midrash offhand. The other thing that I noticed is there is a recurrence of wells in this poem and Mm -hmm. in the Miriam supplement. Yeah. And that wells are a commonly occurring thing in the story of our ancestors. And I think that also points to a different relationship with water that's still brought into the rain prayer. And for a local note, we got a notification from our water suppliers in Seattle, which you might or might not have seen, is they're anticipating a lower supply, Mm -hmm. which is not a thing Seattle hears a lot. Yeah, We usually hear like, we've got plenty of water. But I think because of the weather patterns and less precipitation on the mountains, which is where our water comes from, we were asked to take one fewer shower a week or not water our lawns, which not a lot of people do in Seattle anyways. (laughs) (laughs) But like somehow somewhat cut back on our water usage. Yeah. And this is a thing that was happening in the Torah also. The patriarchs had to move around because their wells dried up. Yeah. So it's cool to see modern concerns brought into our prayers. I also think it's striking. I mean, there's a lot of metaphors about water here, right? Like his heart poured out to you like water and Isaac's blood almost being spilled like water. Right. So some of these are not really about water. They're more about water as a metaphor for other things. But the actual water that's mentioned is not exclusively, but is overwhelmingly fresh water. And that, I think, is also worth naming, that all water is not created equal, um, especially when it comes to human consumption. And because this is really about ensuring that we have what we need to survive for another year, the emphasis really here is on fresh water that we can use for drinking and for watering plants. Yeah, which is still the case yep yeah and what that brings to mind is how we're working to preserve water use less water desalinate water Mm -hmm. and this is actually a very big concern in the land of israel like water and having enough water and what are the technologies that can be used or the social practices and perhaps for another podcast Indeed. Well, and I will say one more thought. You were saying about how here in Seattle, we've been asked to reduce water usage a little bit. I think that actually that reality of being concerned about running out of water and and having enough water is true in so many places. In a lot of ways, we've been really lucky here in Seattle that 
because of the particulars of the climate here, that that usually has not been a serious concern here. But I will say also, like, it's true in the land of Israel, but it's also true in a lot of other places that we're reading about more and more, especially now, that that is a real concern that in some ways we've been really lucky to be insulated from by virtue of being in the Pacific Northwest. Thank goodness. Or at least um, on this side of the mountains in the Pacific right, Northwest. Right, exactly. Well, to end on a positive note. <laughs> yeah, that was the problem with sharing that one more thought. Okay, maybe you got the one more thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, it's a very hopeful sign that one of the prayers that is the most... I don't know if holy is the right word, but involves the most pomp and circumstance, and we're trying to really draw attention to it, is this prayer of water. And my hope is that through engaging with this prayer and having the whole community be involved, we can spark inspiration to work Mm -hmm. with water issues out in the larger world. Amen. Rabbi Paula Rose, the Associate Rabbi of Congregation Beth Shalom in Seattle. This podcast is a project of Congregation Beth Shalom and Ahavat Ve'avodat Adama, our community's environmental group. Choni's Circle was recorded in Seattle, Washington at Full Track Productions. It was produced by Tamara Labicki and Dave Dintenfass. With original music by Ella Labicki Feldman. Thanks for listening and learning with us.